0: Rebels, it's that time! Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. What's up, Rebels? Hope you're having a great day. This portion of the podcast is sponsored by MyPillow, MyPillow MyPillow.com, code word REBEL, for a discount on a four-pack of pillows. I'll tell you what, I was in Costco today, and they had a huge MyPillow display, and they were selling pillows like crazy, and I looked over and checked out the pricing and our discount. My discount is better. So don't buy it at Costco. Go to MyPillow.com, use the code word REBEL, and get a great night's sleep. Oh, we got a good podcast today. Jenny Allen is on the program You know, I got to say, over the years, we've said this before, I'll say it again. The loudest voice in a mom's head is often the one that says she's doing a bad job. And we want to combat that at all costs. There are so few bad moms listening to Rebel Parenting. These moms are trying They feel guilt, they feel shame, they feel anxiety. You know, parenting, it's that job that you don't know how good you're doing until it's already too late. And Jenny Allen has an amazing story, and you are going to love her. Without any further ado, here's Jenny Allen on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Jenny, thanks so much for being on the broadcast. We appreciate it, taking time out of your schedule Before we start it, can you talk to us a little bit about the IF Gathering? We're big fans of it, but for our listeners that aren't aware of it or don't understand what it's about, can you give us a little background of it?
1: Yeah, sure. So several years ago, um, there's a group of us that gathered and said, hey, what would it look like if we came together and as a generation, um, huge dream, Mm -hmm. uh, to worship God and to to agree on the things we agree on and, and see what happens. And, and really the, the heart of it was always just discipleship that we would disciple, um, women who are discipling women. And, and so the first gathering, we, we live streamed it from Austin, Texas. We sold out real quickly and sent it out. Well it was so beautiful because around the world, women stood up and said, Hey, I want to lead this in my home, in my church, in my neighborhood. And so it's just incredible. We had over, you know, several thousand um, gatherings happening at the same time, as well as all the people joining remotely from their computer by themselves. And so mm-hmm. it just has been wild, like how far it's reached. I mean, 120 something countries, um, the, the beauty of just technology has brought really a generation together. And, and we really want to see God move in our in our lives personally and to really make disciples. We aren't so much about bringing people into big stadiums or trying to get bigger and bigger. Our real goal is to build tools to put in the hands of people locally so that they can make disciples where they are. And so the conference is one of those things. We also have a lot of studies and other things through Ifquip that we put in people's hands. And it's just incredible. I mean, women are a powerful force. You, you put some tools and a vision in their lives and they will rock it and they really have. So it's beautiful.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Let me ask you a question because you said we agree on the things that we agree on. Um, and then what ignore the things we don't agree on.
1: Well, you know, where it's possible. Certainly there's some things that are outside of orthodoxy. So we we really are Orthodox, are, are holding view of of everything is the Nicene Creed and the mm-hmm. scriptures. And so that's where we agree. But within that, you know, we have friends that are charismatic. We even have several Catholic leaders that are le- leading in their faces. And yeah. so within Orthodoxy, they are taking these tools. We're just trying not to be divisive where we don't have to be. Certainly there are times yes. to teach the scriptures and to be clear on, on things and issues. But But really, we believe the local church is the best context for a lot of that work. We're just trying to put tools in people's hands to to reach their neighbors, to bring to bring people together across denominations.
0: I love it. And I love that you're not being divisive or you don't have to be divisive. I think so often in. Uh, events and groups, it's all about, oh, we're keeping people out instead of saying, hey, we believe this set of things outside of that, we're all right, but let's get together to support each other. That's so phenomenal. We love it.
1: Yeah. And we've got to build spaces where people can come to, even if they don't agree with that, you know, and, and that they feel safe and and they want to process there. And so certainly, you know, everyone invited and coming to the table is it, it lands in all different kinds of places.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And then let's jump into the book because Nothing to Prove has a story from the IF conference and it's so powerful uh, because it explains what the title is all about. Can you give that story? Because it's just a great launching point to kind of jump into this topic.
1: So I guess the one that comes to mind for me where it really started to shift everything was um, our second gathering. I had been through the first year of leading this organization, I was just weary, like walked into that gathering to speak and to lead um, as beat up as probably I've ever been in my life, just from personal situations. um, Also physical ailments. I think I was taking about six different types of medicines at the time for different issues that I had physically. Like it was just, it was a rough year. Certainly was under a lot of attack um, in every, every place in my life. And so I, I, I kick the thing off. I come off the stage and one of my mentors is back, back there and, and I'm looking for encouragement from her and I'm kind of going, I just, I don't feel cut out for this. I don't think I can keep doing this. And she looked at me and I was expecting her to say, Hey, you know, you're awesome. You've got this, like you have the perfect gifts, the perfect everything to to lead this thing. And instead she said, and that's why God picked you that you don't, you know, you, you know that you, you aren't able to do this. And it was such a backwards feeling like initially it like slapped me across the face, kind of like that. She didn't say you're awesome. You're worthy. You can, you're worth, you know, leading this thing. And so it shifted the way that I approached anything I did. It really started to untangle the pressure that I had on myself to be awesome, to do awesome things. And what I realized is no, God actually shames the f- shames the wise by using the things of the foolish and he actually moves through weakness not strength so that his power is glorified it's such it's obviously the gospel but it's it's not practiced in western culture and it's difficult to believe because of that and so i've learned just how powerful it is to surrender my life and to allow god to use me even in my imperfection and even in my limitations
0: mm-hmm. so you talk in the book and you begin it with wrestling about being enough and You know, we find this, we all feel like we're not enough, especially I think in the parenting world, it's the only job where you don't know if you've done a good job until it's far too late. And so I think it leaves us (laughs) constantly feeling inadequate or like we're not doing enough. Um, Do you find this just rampant in, in all communities?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I think this is rampant in all of our souls. You know, this is, this is human. I mean, this is why Adam and Eve, Ate the apple. They d- didn't feel like they knew enough. You know, they wanted to have every experience. They wanted to know what God knew. And and so I think there's this constant striving in all of us to accomplish more, to to be more, to be better. And, and it's funny, like the movement, the self-help movement has really pushed this idea that you are enough. And as believers, that's actually not the gospel. Or it's certainly not the complete gospel. We're not enough in ourselves, but we are enough because of Christ. And so I think we've we've accidentally bought the self-esteem movement because it feels better faster, but it doesn't feel better for long. And so, for instance, if I tell myself, no, I'm a great parent, I'm a loving parent, I'm an awesome parent, but, you know, this morning while everybody's getting ready for school and they're headed out the door, you know, and and somebody can't find their shoes, and I lose my temper, then all of a sudden, I've broken what's that lie that I've told myself that I'm awesome, that I'm a perfect parent, that I'm a great parent. Yeah. And, and so, you know, immediately, as soon as I break it, which, of course, as believers, we know, we break it quickly and often all the time, yeah. and often, then, then what are we left with, we're left with something that's either we're faking it, we're not actually as awesome as we want to believe we are, or we own it, and we're in shame. And we're in bondage to this idea of the worst version of ourself rather than the gospel, which says, you know, Christ died for us so that his righteousness actually becomes our righteousness, that we actually inherit and receive all of Christ's capacity and ability. It says that we're actually co-heirs with Christ so that everything that's his is promised to us. And it's such a backwards mentality. I can't, Stress that enough, because I, 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 this, you know, it would be just a pamphlet if if it were easy (laughs) to believe. the The book is pretty long because it's this wrestling for years uh, to believe this, and of course, I still wrestle with this as uh, my my children hit road bumps, and and as my ministry or life hit road bumps, I see once again that I I am in need of God, and I think that's the thing we can't be afraid of. When we try to be awesome, then we're not living in the supernatural. We're not depending on his power and his strength that he wants for us. And then when we're stuck in our shame, then we're not actually even doing the things that he's called us to. And we're, we're really in bondage and, and unable to love people, unable to live out the great commission that he's called us to.
2: Hmm. Yeah. I was like about eight years ago, I was struggling with not feeling good enough as a mom. I was a new mom and had a lot going on. And I remember one of my mentors saying, well, what's the, what's the benefit of you believing that? Like, what's the fruit of me thinking, oh, I'm not good enough? And it just struck me because I realized, well, there's some benefits into believing those lies, right? Like, I don't have to show up. I don't have to try hard. or whatever. I can just believe the lie that I'm not good enough. Um, but how, did, how do you, when you're working with people, how do you unpack that, the balance between, you know, I'm not enough, I have Christ, and I am enough because he's called me to do this and he's going to equip me? How do you untangle that? I guess the striving or the performance Christianity. I guess I
1: would coin it. How do you work? Well, I would just say that the first step is to really, truly believe that we don't measure up, and that is actually the hardest part. And I think because it's the most uncomfortable, it goes against the self esteem movement. um, It goes against like what our parents told us about ourselves for some people, and or what they've been telling themselves for a long time. It's Mm -hmm. so awkward and hard to say it. Like I am not enough. That doesn't fly, you know, through Pinterest and Instagram. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it it's, it's not a great message. Um, but I think if we don't truly own that, then we're gonna live self-protected. We're gonna continue Strive. to be defensive yeah. about our mistakes. We're never gonna own our real true deep need for Christ. It doesn't feel good to do that, but it actually is so freeing because, you know, when someone attacks you, when somebody gets angry with you, typically your reaction is to defend yourself, to you know, to show them, no, you're wrong about me. I'm This awesome. But it's a completely different thing to go. You're right. You're right. Even if there's misunderstanding about it, even yeah. if they didn't yeah. get it right completely, like even if some of it is, is just anger, but, but they're right. I am a disappointment. I am, I am letting you down. There's, but then it's so funny because you, it goes against your flesh, but the second you say it, There's this peace that floods you. Mm -hmm. And it actually diffuses the whole thing. I think of when Jesus says turn the other cheek, or if somebody steals your shirt, you know, give them your pants too. And it's such a, you know, back I keep saying backwards, but it really is such a backwards way to think and live. But it's actually so refreshing and freeing when you do it. And Mm -hmm. and I think we're afraid to trust in the supernatural, we're afraid to trust God at what he says because it goes against. The world it goes against our nature, and so when we do it, it's it's shocking that it actually works, and we actually feel more peace, and we feel at ease with who we are because we're not trying to live a lie, we're not trying to be more awesome than what we are. We're actually admitting, you know what? Yes. It is true. But my identity is not in that failure. So I can own my mistakes because my mistakes are not my identity. My identity is who I am in Christ, His great love for me, the future that I have with him, the relationship I had with him this morning when I met with him, the relationship I have ongoing as I'm getting attacked and I'm praying, I'm going, Lord, help me receive this. Help me to be humble. Help me to, to turn the other cheek that is what I get. And, and there's such a security. It's actually, you know, I just think about all the imagery he uses about himself. He says, you can build your house on the sand or you can build it on a rock. And the rock is actually fellowship, abiding, being with him. And then he talks about branches and vines. And he says, branches wither these, the, if you build and attach your identity or security to anything apart from Christ, it, it always withers away. You'll never be awesome enough. And you see that in the most successful people in the world. You look at Hollywood, you look at the, the most wealthy, you look at the people that finally have achieved what would be in our minds, a perfect identity. Yeah. Their kids turn out perfect. Every, you know, everything just works perfectly, which that never really happens. But let's say that it did. They're, they're still not happy. You know, it's not yeah. in that either. So even if we achieve perfection which we can't, it, it's still a disappointment because we were never meant to attach our identity and worth or value to something other than God himself. He is the only rock. He is the only vine that actually provides sustenance. He's only well. Jesus keeps describing himself. I'm the bread of life. I'm the water that never runs out. He keeps saying, hey, come to me and you'll have everything you're craving, everything you're longing for, um, but go anywhere else and you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to be hungry again. You're going to you know, dry up and wither you're going to your house is gonna fall. Um everything is this picture of with me, you have everything. Without me, you have nothing.
0: Well when you say it that way, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's true. It's funny. I we get a lot of type A people on the program because lots of people that write books end up being type A. They have to be self motivated and a self-starter and driven enough to get a book done. And I notice I've been thinking about the fruits of the spirit a lot lately, and probably because I've felt, uh, I've been snappy, I've been angry more, and when I look at the fruits of the spirit, I'm like, wow, I don't feel peace, and my type A personality says, well, you need to do something more in order to get peace, and it's like, alright, well, I'm going to meditate every day, I'm going to start this meditation program, and and, you know It's funny because it was working, but you're right, it was short-lived because it required me to do something. Instead of just saying, you know what, without the Lord, I really am kind of an angry person. Without the Holy Spirit in me, I tend to snap and bite people's heads off at times. And I need help with that and start focusing on my relationship with the Lord instead of trying to make myself good enough and better to to be more like the Holy Spirit. Instead of just getting the fruits of the Spirit from the Holy Spirit
1: so interesting. Yeah. You get an example. I think about first John, this has been so powerful. I've actually been talking to my kids a lot about this because our tendency is to like, that was even Ryan, that was even like really vulnerable, like for you to say those words, like, Hey, I do get angry and I need the Lord. Like there's something really, it's not powerful to say that, right? Like right. you don't feel right. powerful when you even say those words, but no. yet to us listening, we all like to kind of exhale, like, Oh, that was, that was actually really refreshing that he just said that. I think that's, it goes it goes counter to what we're learning in the world where we have to be all that. But I think about First John when you did that, because First 1 John 1, 1.5 talks about light and darkness. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we wa- walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So he's saying, he's saying to do exactly what you just did, which is admit you're like walking in the light. What does it mean? It doesn't mean not sinning because he's very clear that in fact, if you say that you don't sin, you're lying. So he's saying you are going to sin. So walking in the light is not the absence of sin. Walking in the light is the confession of sin Mm -hmm. and the the admitting of sin. And so... I think that is so different than our culture. You know, my kids, one of my kids specifically right now is struggling with lying and it's shame based, right? Like he's wanting to cover up mistakes he's making and choices he's making. And so we're talking to him about this, like, hey, we we're okay with that mistake. What we're not okay with and what your soul isn't okay with is when you run into the dark with that sin. Mm-hmm. Now you can't enjoy Jesus and you're making him to be a liar because you're telling us, I don't sin. Right. You're telling yourself you don't sin. You're telling God you don't sin. But the truth is he knows that and he wants you in the light, not so that you'll be perfect. He wants you in the light so that you can walk with him in it and you can walk with people in it and you can know grace because we get to tell you grace. When you make a mistake and bring it to us, we get to remind you what is true of you. Mm-hmm. But it it's so true. We do hide so much of our weakness and our brokenness and God's saying, hey, come out with
0: it. It's true. And... It's funny because it seems like a paradox. It seems counterintuitive to human nature. Uh, like as you said earlier, to, for me to admit that I get angry, it's not powerful. And as a guy, as a man, we want to be that way. I want to be powerful. I want to be the strong person. I want to be the bigger, the better person, that kind of a thing. And that's where the scripture comes out. When I am weak, then I am strong. In my weakness, in understanding my weakness, and understanding my humanness, I can be strong in Christ and... I know we get away with a lot of stuff on Rebel Parenting. and I was with a friend recently and he was he's struggling in his marriage, and I know that he's having a hard time showing emotion, and a lot of guys have trouble showing emotion. And I finally just, I got exasperated with him, and I go, listen, man, when I started learning how to cry and show emotion in front of my kids and my wife, my sex life improved so immensely. And he was like, oh, you know, and he, Totally blew me off, and I said, I know. It sounds counterintuitive. It doesn't sound macho. It doesn't sound strong. I'm telling you, the results don't lie. The more I can show emotion, the less powerful I can be, the better my relationship gets. And it's a struggle, but I still think it's true.
1: Well, and it's the gospel, because where does power come from for the believer? You know, I, I'm going to look at the next verse that I didn't read in verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's this idea that we aren't supposed to be enough in ourselves that that is not preached enough. It's it's but it's the gospel. It's in every page of this book that that even the people that God platforms in the Bible, largely he's displaying his power, not theirs um, in almost every person except for Christ. And even in Christ, he's continually submissive to show off the the power of God, the father, even though he could have had that power in himself. I believe he chose to display the the dependence on, on his father to show what it means to be in relationship and to show as humans how we engage God. But it's just, it's so, yeah, it is so different. But again, we're looking at a world that says, um, one, even to be religious and to follow God, you need to be perfect and have it all together. And so we've got to dispel those lies or we're authentic to the point of holiness, not even being on on our lips and in our lives because we're just thinking, oh, we're just confessing our sin, but we're leaving it there. And we're, we're not actually believing verse nine that says he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We, so we don't stop with admitting the weakness. We actually move to the power where the power actually comes from.
2: Mm -hmm. I love, you talked a little bit about like the backpack and when you were saying throwing off the sin and getting going to Jesus. Like, what is the backpack? Just first off, can you give us a definition of that?
1: Well, I think anybody that's listening that feels heavy in any way, badly, whatever <laughs> it backpack? is, which probably is everyone to some oh. degree. Um,
0: you it, my monkey. It,
1: yeah. <laughs> the, it, monkey the, danger, like the
0: albatross, yeah. the tire. I
1: mean, well, and I think of Hebrews 12, because he says, I like it how he, he separates these two th- things, these burdens. He says, um, the weight that so no, the sin that so easily entangles us in the weight that we carry, like he, he actually differentiates between sin and weight. And so sometimes I think weight in the backpack can be um, circumstances that, you know, diagnosis or your parents going through a divorce, or maybe it's financial stress or pressure, it can be um, a kid rebelling. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that could be something that you're, it's not sin, it's just a heavy right. circumstance. Yeah. And then I also think then the other one would be sin. And, and I think both of those things can entangle us to the point of, we aren't living in the freedom that God meant us to live in.
2: How do we throw off that backpack?
1: Well, it's interesting. I'll go back to Hebrews 12 again, because what I like about Hebrews 12 is he's giving kind of three steps to life. I mean, he kind of sums up like, this is what it looks like to follow God. And he's talking about a race, you know, run the race um, that's set before you. So we're running. And then he says, throwing off the, the sin, the weight and the sin that so easily entangles. And then he's saying, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So he's, he's really saying three things. You run, you throw off and you fix your eyes. Well, I think for a long time, I thought those were steps like you throw off and then you can run and then you can fix your eyes on Jesus. But the truth is it's probably happening, happening simultaneously yeah. because I really believe that as we do mission and, and quit waiting till we're qualified to do it, just do it. Then we, typically throw off the weight and fix our eyes because we're not self-focused. We're not, we don't want to be encumbered. We want to serve the people God's put in our lives to serve and love. And then we need Jesus because we're on mission. So I think it's a simultaneous thing, hopefully, as we go. And so I think finding what your purpose is and 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 living out that purpose that God's given you innately, which is the great commission to make disciples wherever you are. So of the children that you have, of the co-workers you go to work with, of the college students that um, you're around if you're a college student, whatever it is that you do, like, do it there, you have a purpose. Now, sometimes, as we go in life, we can narrow in on exactly what our unique gifts are and how we can serve God's kingdom more deeply. But the truth is, we are given purpose the minute we are saved, the minute we experience know Christ, we're filled with the Spirit and equipped for every good work. So we get to live that out, whether or not we've done a gift profile or understand exactly what our job description should be every day. And so I think owning that and, and making that our life through local churches, with community, with a mentor, being on mission, I think it it starts to happen. Where our eyes are fixed, we're abiding and being with Christ, um, and we're, we're we're living out the purposes he's called us to live out. And then that sin, I think, is falling off. Oh, yeah.
0: Definitely. I love that you said a mentor, too. I think having the counsel of someone that's been there before us. I was watching the show, and it was all these young people striving out to this thing, and my only caution was there wasn't any old people there. I'm like, you have, you have nobody that's been around long enough to see burnout when it's on its way, or just that experience. And so getting a mentor that's been around that can calm you down, that can say, it's all right, let's just relax for a minute. Let's go back to the basics. I love that stuff.
1: Oh, every single person needs that, we, oh, awesome. especially when we're parenting or, or in these seasons of life where we can't get perspective without it. I mean, people have to tell us, hey, you're going to survive this. This, You're going to get through this.
2: Yeah, I like what your mentor says. Yeah, you are qualified. You aren't enough. My, my mentor already says, you know what, can you just grow up quietly? Like, OK, mm. I will. I will grow up yeah. quietly. Thank you.
0: Jenny Ew. you've got a great quote in your book where you say when we live trying to measure up on our own one of two things happens and it's either you strive or we numb out and I'll get in trouble for this it reminds me of the movie bad moms I don't know if you've seen that or not but I haven't oh, it, it was such a breath of fresh air you've got this mom and I see moms everywhere the more I do rebel parenting I see this where it's they're doing their kids homework and they're all the moms are judging the other moms about how their kids looks and and what sports they're in, and and all this stuff, and she gets to a breaking point, and then it's the numbing out. And I think so many moms, and especially Christian moms in the church, there's so much internal judgment going on, and the striving that we do numb out. We just kinda just check out, you know? I live in Colorado, and the check out is a real thing here now, and, and it is in a lot of places. How do we get out of that cycle? How do we get out of, how do we start being more present with our kids, with our families and get out of the striving and the numbing?
1: Well, I think we have to be unafraid to face the difficulty in our life. I think usually we numb out because we don't like something about ourselves or something about our life. And so we're escaping it. So we've got to be willing to face those things. And that takes work. Mm -hmm. Um, We are believers in counseling. We think that um, everybody needs a third party. Sometimes that can serve as a unpaid third party with a counselor, or a mentor, Um, But sometimes it needs to be paid. And and I think we've got to face those things and realize that there is freedom for the things that we're facing. It may not be closure and perfection. Right. Like we may. In fact, it won't be Um, not everything. The gospel is not a promise that everything works out here. It's a promise that everything works out forever. So it's it's changing our perspective. And that usually happens through um, difficulty and through counsel and through growth. And that, that unfortunately is work, you know, it's, it's not just passively sitting by and numbing out that we change and grow. And so I think we've got to be willing to lean into voices that say things that we don't like. I mean, my friends are rough on me. They, they will tell me when, um, when I'm off track or when I'm being selfish or when I need to shift something in my life. I also have mentors and I also have, um, counselors that we see off and on, as we need it in our marriage and in life. I just, I can't really imagine being a healthy person without that.
2: Us too, um, I we're right there with you. Totally. totally.
1: We need that. And and we also need to abide in Christ. And I think those voices need to be voices that point you back to the gospel and back to Christ. Mm-hmm. Every person I just named there is a believer and does that for me. Even my paid counselor is a believer and coming from a Christian worldview. And so I think the the unpacking and the understanding of why we don't, want to be present in our lives is work, but it's worth it. And, and a season of that is better than a missed life. And to go into the d- difficulty, it could be from your childhood, it could be from, um, it could be the sadness of, of, you know, I we've, we've adopted a child, and it's hard, you know, and so a lot of my numbing out was just Oh, life is so hard. I can't deal with it. There's no way to totally fix all this. And it wasn't just him. It was just a million hard things that piled yeah. up. Yep. And so I had to reframe the way that I was going to deal with difficulty. And I had to reframe the way I was going to see myself in that. And, and that just, again, it just takes time and work. Yeah,
0: yeah. Can I be honest? I understand the long-term numbing out totally. And I've been there where I just, I feel overwhelmed by everything, overwhelmed by life in general, where it's like, nope, not doing anything today. And in my life, there are times where I'm like, you know what? The kids are asleep. Laura's asleep. I'm going to watch a full season of whatever it is on Netflix right <laughs> now. Cause I just can't think anymore more about anything. My dad was asking me if I'd seen, uh, it was a documentary of something. And I said, you know, by the time I watch TV at night, I try to play the, dumbest thing possible. So I don't have to think about anything. Mm -hmm. So
1: I think, well, and I certainly don't think anything we're talking about here is evil. I don't think most of the things that we go to in life to numb out are evil. I just think we lose moderation when we're going to them to, to Mm -hmm. kill something or to remove us from difficulty. And so what you can find yourself doing, the more pressure that comes, the more difficult and heavy life gets as you continue to withdraw. I mean, it's just, And, and, you know, I think we've got to be careful not to over demonize certain addictions over others, right? Like certainly some have worse consequences. But I'm telling you, the people I know in prison or rehab that that are aware of their issues are actually probably in a healthier place to some degree than a lot of us that don't recognize what how addicted we are to things and how broken we really are. So I, I, I see, you know, there's there's we're, we're slow to call harmless things, addictions. They're not harmless. They're actually taking our thought life and stealing everything. So again, it's not that they're wrong. And certainly, I mean, I still, I have not canceled my Netflix membership yet, (laughs) but I have seen a, as I've dealt with my, the difficult things in my life, as I've leaned into that and processed and gotten a lot more freedom and joy and less pressure to perform, um, and to start enjoying God and enjoying my life rather than trying to measure up and perform. And as I've gotten more freedom, I haven't wanted to go to those things as much. I, I feel more energy. I feel more connected to my people. I want to go out and see my friends rather than kind of withdraw and hide.
2: Mm. Um, before we go, I just wanted to ask a little bit, cause I have friends and, and we have some family members that, um, have struggled with this and have it. Um, you talk a little bit about attention deficit disorder and you having ADD. Um, can you just share a tiny bit before we go about that? Cause I really think our listeners would just find value in, in the way you have worked with it.
1: Well, and I would say a lot of people probably think, oh gosh, I have ADD too. And, <laughs> and, and that's, I mean, we live in an ADD culture that, yeah. that has trained a lot of our brains to move really fast and move on to the next thing and look for sound bites. And, and I think so everybody probably relates to that feeling a little bit. But but when you're really diagnosed with it, it's literally a full on war to pay attention to things. I mean, you have to yeah. I mean, I'm fighting, you know, half of my brain is fighting to stay focused, to write or to read or to speak or to say what I need to say while the other half is composing. And it's 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 difficult. But mm-hmm. I also feel like there are so many gifts from it. And I've never talked about it publicly before. And I, I don't know, I, I guess it just. I didn't want it to be a distraction. And I didn't know. I don't love that about myself. You know, I wish that weren't one of the weaknesses I have. And, and yet it explains so much in my life, you know, once I knew I had it. And, and I also think it's part of the beauty of the way my brain works. And, Mm. and I've learned to, I probably wouldn't be nearly as creative. I probably wouldn't be able to do all of these different jobs and move in and out of them Mm. as quickly as I do and shift gears. So I do think that, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and and I've learned that again this is one of those weaknesses that I think God moves mightily in. And and I've you know I've I've been reluctant to to announce that, but but I think in even announcing it, it's it's continuing to say, hey, this is this isn't easy for me to write this book. Like this doesn't come naturally for me, like me sitting down and focusing for this long. Is an all-out fight, war to get it into existence, and you can do something too. Even whether that's, you know, dyslexia or whatever you struggle with, uh, these are, these are things that we can decide to not let define us, and and do the thing that feels impossible to do.
0: What a breath of fresh air, Jenny! It's so great having you on here. Thanks for listening, rebels. We appreciate you. Thank you for sharing the podcast with your friends. If you'd like a great resource pack to help you in your marriage and parenting, text the word REBEL to 444-999. Text the word REBEL to 444-999. We'll send you a great resource pack. Thank you to the Voice of the Martyrs for sponsoring Rebel Parenting. Persecution.com. Helping those in need in persecuted countries around the world. Persecution.com for the Voice of the Martyrs. God bless, Rebels. We'll see you soon.
2: Rebel parenting is produced by Rebel Media House and when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the rebel update by texting the word rebel to 444999. That's reBEL and the number is 444999. We love it when you share rebel parenting with your friends and family so thank you. God bless! Thanks for spending your time with us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.